Hello, and welcome to the Hacking State Podcast. This is your host, Alex Mershak. With me today is Gandalf. Gandalf, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for coming on. So um, you're obviously uh, one of the larger, uh, albeit, um, you know, not exactly, uh, I guess, known to normies, um, Bitcoin accounts that are out there. Obviously, there are like Bitcoin celebrities, people like... Um, Michael Saylor and and Safedina Moose and others, but uh, Bitcoin is its own you know enormous community, and you have a very large account uh, dedicated to you know the, the teaching of the gospel. Um, and so I thought I'd have you on today, and uh, we're going to get a little bit into Bitcoin just um, for the Hacking State project. Um, so to get started, I I think uh, how did you how did you get into it? Because I find that every Bitcoiner has sort of a unique interesting story on how they how they got there yeah um so i first the the first time i can remember sort of seriously thinking about bitcoin was in 2017 so i grew up in hong kong i lived in hong kong for 25 years um Mm -hmm. and before getting into the bitcoin space i was a real estate agent so i was a, a, a or a real estate broker um so i had a client that i was doing viewings with and he was telling me about this is like march 2017 so beginning of a bull market uh, or middle of a bull mar- of that bull market he is telling me how he is buying bitcoin and, and ethereum etc cetera, etc cetera. and he was like a young like i think he was an ex college football player american football player good looking successful uh, so obviously like what he was talking about i was like oh this guy's obviously smart and he's done well for himself so he must know what he's talking about i should look into this bitcoin thing hmm. So I sort of just made a note of it. Uh, I think I probably, you know, Googled Bitcoin, read a few mainstream media articles, and then decided I, I, I had the mainstream media narrative in my head, which is like, it's a bubble, has no intrinsic value. It's open source. Anyone can just copy it. Like, how can it be worth? It's 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 digital fake money. How can it be worth anything? Um, and I sort of just like put it to the side and I said, yeah, I'm going to watch watch what happens for a little bit. And of course, you know, price shot up to like 20k and then went down to 3k and i felt vindicated in my opinion that Mm -hmm. it was a bubble and that it was worthless um and then in 2019 i saw that the price went back up to 10k Mm. and then i was like okay this can't be a bubble because it's gone back up to 10k and if it's gone back up back up to 10k which is halfway to the last all-time high there must be something here that I'm not understanding. And so I should look into it some more. So I bought some in 2019 uh, and really didn't pay any attention to it until uh, the end of 2020. And where was, was where was it at? So, well, from, from uh, June 2019, it was a 10K. I think it's sort of like traded in the 10 to 12Ks around there until COVID where mm. there was like a ma- there was a massive dump to I think maybe 3k uh and when I started paying attention again it, it yeah it was in the low 10s or 15k around there nice nice so yeah pretty, I actually pretty happy with so, uh holding on I mean yeah but I was like during the covid uh bust and boom I was on Wall Street bets and I was like buying Tesla shares and doing just others. I had the Bitcoin there and I was just like, I'm not even, lo- I don't care about it. I'm not looking at it right now. Don't get it, but I'm definitely not selling. I'm just going to hold it until I have time to figure it out. 
And yeah, in in my, you know, buying shares and buying this and buying that and everything's going up. I was like, okay, I've kind of like run out of stocks that I like. So I need somewhere else to park some of my cash. Let me go look at the Bitcoin thing again. Um, Because during that time, I'd bought a company uh, as well. So I, I had good income from that and I needed a place to park it. So it was more of just like, I've run out of stocks and I need to now go look at the Bitcoin thing. And once mm. I watched a few, it was actually... I don't know how I was in a I was in in a 14 day hotel quarantine in Hong Kong because I'd flown to Scotland and then flown back to Hong Kong. I had to do 14 days quarantine. So I had all this time to kill. And that's where I sort of like just watched videos and listened to podcasts from Michael Saylor and Safe and whoever else and Andreas Antonopoulos. And kind of it started to click. And that's when I was like started selling everything I earned and buying Bitcoin. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um that's a, a a pretty um interesting story regarding um you know the the sort of going from like a non-believer who's just sort of cynically in it as a bubble and then uh the conversion you know the the, the final orange pill uh, as they say uh I I remember a similar experience um mine came later when was it 20, 20 2021 I think I I really started so I was panicking um cuz I knew that you know the money printing didn't make any sense and I as similar to you I was looking for a place to start parking cash um I didn't have a lot of cash but I knew that it like sitting it getting burned away in my bank account didn't make any sense <laughs> and um so I started I started buying up a lot of bitcoin in 2021 and then in 2022 um, I was traveling around Asia and I was in the Philippines, uh, which I wasn't actually even planning to go there originally, but I ended up there because I couldn't get into Vietnam. And, um, when I was there, I was looking at the change in, you know, like, first of all, the, the exchange rate for us dollars was great. Um, but it was like, if you looked at the 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 change um the amount of inflation that you know the philippine peso had experienced over the last 2 years and compared it to the us dollar it's like oh i'm afraid that the us dollar is going down in value and this other foreign currency like all these people that i'm meeting and talking to the money that they're saving in is going down even faster because it's going down relative to the us dollar <laughs> yeah and so i was like there's no way Anybody that's saving in this local currency could possibly build wealth this way. It's it's completely insane. And so that's when um, the girl that I was dating at the time, I tried to convince her. I was like, you should convert as much of your savings into US dollars. And I was like, and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think you should also put it into Bitcoin. <laughs> and I was like, because if you keep it in this currency, like it's just never going to grow. Like it's never going to be worth anything. And um and i was yeah i was working uh i was doing sort of a digital nomad thing i was working for a a u.s company uh and i was like okay i i fell down the rabbit hole very similar thing i had read safedine's book um earlier that year and then i started yeah just consuming as much like voracious amounts of of bitcoin content to try to uh you know i guess solidify my worldview or get a handle on the uh, intricacies of it. Yeah. And then since then, I've just been a permanent hodler. The way um, to go. Yeah. I'm always hodling. Um, but you have 
sort of since gone from being a, a fellow hodler to actually working in the industry itself. So uh, you work for a Bitcoin miner, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I work. Uh, I work in the marketing team at a, a Bitcoin mining company called Brains. Nice, and you know that one of the things that I think people that are not maybe inside of the Bitcoin ecosystem don't really get is that like the, the Bitcoin the mining is its own whole like sub industry, right? There, there's just you know the investing, which anyone who wants to participate in the network can participate in. But the miners are crucial to actually running the network, and um, they—it's it, it, a pretty competitive industry. I'm here in Texas, and there's a bunch of Bitcoin miners here um, because of the, uh, you know, uh, good law, well, friendly laws, and also the access to energy. Um, but you know, mining itself is like its own whole weird uh, industry that has all kinds of like uh, equilibrium and price management and economies of scale to worry about and things like that. So uh, how did you uh, get involved in mining? Um, so yeah, when I became obsessed with Bitcoin, I uh, I started my this this Twitter account, Bitcoin Gandalf. And uh, and I was actually in the in the process of selling my selling my shares in, in the business in the property business I owned. So I had all this time to basically just get to study Bitcoin. And mm. I would spend like 12 hours a day. Twitter was kind of like where I spent most of the time. And then I'd see someone else. There's a new podcast out from this person or I'd discover this person. I'd check out their book or their podcast or their whatever, right? Uh, so yeah, I was just lying in bed one day and I saw a post from some, and I would follow anyone that had Bitcoin in like their bio or talked about Bitcoin or worked in Bitcoin, instant follow. Um, and I just saw, uh, I saw a tweet from someone at Brain saying they're looking for a, uh, like basically a social media media intern and mm. since I was like completely new to the industry, I was like, you know, I apply. I was like, I love, I'm spending all my day on Twitter anyway. I, I love Bitcoin. I'm going to jump in here and see where it takes me. Uh, so I applied and got the job. And uh, yeah, I, and it, I, it was interesting. I, mining was also one of the areas that as a semi noob, I kind of didn't really understand. So mm. it was interesting for me to go into the mining space uh, because not, not only is it like one of the biggest sectors of, of of bitcoin uh from a business perspective um but yeah i didn't know that much about it so it was an opportunity to learn as well yeah and it's also it's also sort of the the nexus of i guess the uh, the intersection of bitcoin and like public policy like whenever you're hearing people talking about uh allowing bitcoin regulating bitcoin um you know concerns about power usage uh, whether proof of uh, of work is even you know good, uh, they're usually talking about the miners, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, politicians and and policymakers they they care a lot about jobs, right? And mm -hmm. and bringing jobs to their state or bringing yeah. So, uh, Bitcoin mining being one of the largest sectors of of Bitcoin from a business perspective means that you know there's there's economic activity there and there's obviously jobs to be created and be had. So when yeah like you say when when it's very it's very connected with politics because of that reason so you have some people who's usually more left-leaning whose views are very much like bitcoin mining is bad for the environment we should get rid of it because it's polluting and whatever it's making it and then there's the other people who are like bitcoin mining is good it's bringing jobs to our state and we should let it happen and etc so 
Yeah. And so given that you're sort of part of the uh, marketing team for this miner, um, I mean, what is the response to uh, people that are worried about its energy usage? It's it's a value judgment, right? Saying that something is a waste of energy, it just means that you don't think it has any value and henceforth anything that it uses up is a waste. Um, hmm. So I think it, it, it stems from a non-understanding of Bitcoin. For the right. most part, you will have you will ha of course have people who uh, will be proponents of other uh, consensus mechanisms like proof of stake and stuff like that. But for the ninety nine point nine percent of people uh, who think who think it's a waste of energy are just parroting some mainstream media article that they've read. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is um, you know we discussed this uh, in my interview with Grant Dever that was. Uh, you know, the miners are actually very good, depending on how their energy contracts are written, um, at uh, at helping to uh, regulate and stabilize the grid in, in many cases. That's certainly the case here in Texas. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I mean, they they I like to think of or I like to say Bitcoin miners are non-rival energy users, right? Bitcoin miners are very price uh, energy price sensitive. So they don't want to consume energy. They don't want to compete with you who's willing to pay, you know, whatever, 15 cents per kilowatt hour or 20 cents per kilowatt hour or in Europe, 35 cents per kilowatt hour to, you know, have heating, hot water, uh, power your computer, have some lights and all that. They want dirt cheap energy that, you know, that when or where no one else is using that energy. Mm. So in the middle of the day, everyone's in the office, no one's at home. Uh, energy consumption is down, miners will turn on. At night, everyone's at home cooking, lights on, aircon on, miners can turn off. And they're very unique consumers of electricity in that way that they can just turn on and off. Uh, given the right economic circumstances as well, of course, a miner can't just turn on for one hour a day and, uh, unless they have a, a very sweet deal in terms of the incentive for turning off the other 23 hours of the day. Because uh, mm. otherwise, it wouldn't be profitable to just mine for one hour a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, the, the, one, one of the going back to your previous question, one of the main mm. things that people should be asking themselves is, what does Bitcoin replace, and what is the energy usage of the system it replaces? I would say that Bitcoin as a system is much more energy efficient than the fiat system that encourages consumption. That, you know, there's how many bankers in the world, how many banks in the world, how many offices full of people doing banking stuff in the world, how much cash is getting transported across the world all the time in cars, trucks, boats, trains, planes that are all burning fossil fuels, right? We mm. all know that software not only makes everything better, but it makes it cheaper and more efficient. Yeah. So Bitcoin is software that replaces a whole physical infrastructure of, of banking. Yeah, well, this is a this is a point that I found. Um, you know, I've talked to different people in the community um, who have differing opinions on on Michael Saylor as a as a sort of evangelist. But one of the things he's very good at doing is um, emphasizing this point of like the digitization aspect and um, sort of the the fundamental difference between taking something, uh, you know literal physical and then uh abstracting it into this you know virtual layer and the power that that gives you um so that's certainly um uh, you know 
one of the bigger things. Um, I was going to ask you though, would you consider yourself to be a maximalist? Depends how you define maximalist. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't like, I, I don't, I just don't like using, I don't like using such broad groupings because uh -huh. it means so many different things to so many different people. Do if you, if I think that Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency that matters and that will be of significance, then yes. I'm okay. A maximalist. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty close. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, someone... I, I leave, I leave a, you know, I, I leave some room to be wrong for some other use case to be discovered. But as from the way I understand it, mm. uh, the only use of a blockchain is for money or for, well, yeah, I guess you can say for information, but money is sort of information. Uh, and the only point of using a blockchain is because you want, you need something that's decentralized and immutable. If you have something centralized or that's not immutable using a blockchain, it's just a less efficient way of doing something that where you could use a different kind of database, right? You're using a blockchain, which is really bad at a lot of stuff because right. it has this one important quality. Well, because it allows you to be decentralized enough that it's immutable and, you know, doesn't require a, a central entity controlling everything. Mm -hmm. So, so just to like elucidate the point you're making a little bit more, because it's it's a somewhat subtle point. Um, you're not you're not saying that there aren't going to be like possible, you know, I, like I know I have a I had a friend on earlier who's got like a crypto exchange. Um, you know, they obviously have like a token for for that exchange. There are obviously like different utility cases for lots of different cryptocurrencies. But your sort of broad point is it actually has to do with this sort of centralization, decentralization access. And the way that Bitcoin has what they call the immaculate conception, right? Which is that Satoshi gave us this technology, gave it to the world, and there was no, you know, ICO or group of devs or anyone like that who got to have all of it right away and then disperse, you know, the rest to whoever. Yeah, it wasn't trying. It was every cryptocurrency that came after Bitcoin was trying to say it could do something that Bitcoin couldn't do, but no one takes into account the trade-offs that are made for that thing mm. to be. So Bitcoin has these like um, perfect set of trade-offs that allow it to be what it is, and if you mess with any of those, you you break something essential that makes Bitcoin special, that makes Bitcoin unique. Right, um, so yeah, the, the the other the other cryptos, whether they're immaculately concept concepted, you know, or not, or there's ICOs or not, they make certain trade offs as well on a from a technical perspective and from a centralization perspective that Bitcoin doesn't make because Bitcoin chose the right. I don't know if you've ever played like, uh, you know. If you've ever played role playing games or like FIFA, where you know the characters or the players have attributes, and it's like speed and this and that, and let's say you have a yeah. hundred points to give to each, uh, sorry, you have a hundred points, you have to distribute th them between the different attributes, right? If you want to make the character faster, you have to take away from strength or something like that, right? It's the mm -hmm. same with it's the same with cryptocurrencies. Uh, there there are some limitations, and if you change one thing, you give up something else somewhere else. Right, right. So the design constraints for Bitcoin have been set up in such a way to sort of optimize. I mean, 
the, the, the way that I always talk about it is that it's sort of optimized for security. And we're optimi- if you're optimizing for security over everything else, then there are just certain things that you know, you're not going to be able to do with it that you can do with other coins, but you don't have that reassurance that what you're dealing with is absolutely rock solid at the bottom. And yeah, that's... and I mean, you know, with, with exchange tokens and stuff like that, there's always mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, there's always been loyalty points. The exchange tokens are kind of like a loyalty point scheme, right? You don't need a decentralized blockchain for that because there's a company behind it anyway in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it doesn't need to be immutable. It doesn't, in fact, it's probably worse that it, you don't want some things to be immutable. You don't want the deed to your house, your ownership of your house to be immutable. Whereas if you lose the keys, you suddenly don't own your house anymore, right? You want to be able to go to a centralized place and get a new deed that shows you own your house. And do you believe that Bitcoin will supplant uh, existing uh, global currencies as well? I hope. I think it would be good if it did, but I don't know that it will. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I see it. I see it a little bit like um the this sort of battle between like open source software and closed source closed source software right or like the battle between like centralized social media and decentralized social media uh, mm. one of the disadvantages of being decentralized is that it's very hard to coordinate to achieve a goal right so it just has to be inherently a lot better it has to solve a real world problem for it to be adopted and used, right? Chat GPT comes out and that obviously has very high utility and suddenly you have a hundred million people using Chat GPT every day, right? The same thing is not true for Bitcoin. And that's because other currencies serve enough of a purpose for those people that they don't need to switch yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but but, but I, I see I see so I see we were talking about foreign currencies before the US yeah. dollar is kind of like the Bitcoin for all the other foreign currency holders in the world right they're right. trying to get rid of their Philippine peso and Mexican peso and whatever else and get US dollars and then the people who get that the US dollar is just the same thing as those currencies but because all those will collapse into the US dollar that that gives it a little bit more strength but effectively it's the same thing it's a printable currency few people control it and they can decide if they can you know they can make more and make your dollars worth less right so people that realize that go to bitcoin so everyone else goes into the usd and the smart usd holders well actually every usd holder goes into some sort of asset no one's hoarding like hundreds of millions of dollars of cash Right. They're buying real estate, they're buying stocks, they're buying Bitcoin or some other whatever art, wines, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, at some point cars were going up in value as you, you, know, you could buy a car, drive it for 10,000 miles, and then sell it for more. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously with the US as a world reserve currency, I guess I'm imagining a scenario where um one of the things that happens over time is it there appears to be, you know widespread currency consolidation. So actually like the number of currencies there are now in the world, as opposed to even 50 years ago, has actually uh, gone down. And that's because a lot of currencies have disappeared because they've been mismanaged or they've just uh, gone on the US dollar. Lots of countries have have done that already. Um, And I expect that trend to basically continue um, and for these networks to get more and more consolidated. And the world that I'm imagining is a world where there's like the US dollar and there's, you know, um, the 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 yuan and some others. Like, there's a handful, the euro, 
of large currencies and Bitcoin also as its own, you know, large network. And obviously the Bitcoin network isn't, um, you know, a super giant uh, share of the global currency trade, but it's growing and it's already bigger than a lot of small countries. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think we'll see less currencies over time. Hopefully we'll see Bitcoin grow uh, its its share of the sort of its market share of the global currency, um, or the yeah of the global currencies, and yeah, mm. I think we'll see like we'll probably have like a communist fiat, like the RMB or something like that, yeah, yeah. and then we'll have like the the freedom fiat, like a USD or whatever euro, if you can call Europe free, uh, and then we'll have like I think a truly free currency, which is Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Um, do 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 you think a little about uh privacy concerns with regard to you know the bitcoin network i know that was something that people have gone back and forth about um you know yeah it's difficult it's difficult these days because you're it always seems like to get more privacy you have to trade off convenience and convenience mm. is a very strong driver of behavior so while there are no well most individuals will not feel or are not currently feeling the risks of a lack of privacy, so they're willing to trade it off for the for convenience. I think we'll have to see some. We'll have to see some event that impacts a mass number of people that's privacy related, uh, that drives people towards more privacy. And, and I'm not. I'm so. I'm not down that rabbit. I have. I, I did go down the privacy rabbit hole for a while, um, but I'm not like super versed in it. And so I wonder whether it is possible to be more private and also have the convenience uh, that you're you're now giving up. Yeah. Well, and also one of the other things, just independent of privacy. I mean, I I don't use, as far as I know, like super anonymous tokens you know tornado cash or anything like that i think a lot of that stuff's actually illegal in the u.s yeah but, like yeah, monero and zcash that yeah who knows how private i i don't know enough about them like who you know i think the the like sort of meme with monero is like you can't audit the it's so private you can't even audit the supply you don't know if like there's more monero is being minted than than there is yeah, right now yeah. i don't yeah don't, i don't know enough about it though yeah it's too opaque um so I, I guess one of the things though to think about is it's sort of related to privacy, but it's not quite there is just having autonomy right over it in terms of custodial um, and, uh, you know, hot, cold wallets, mm. keeping things off of exchanges, so on and so forth. What's your like personal philosophy on that? I mean, Bitcoin is digital bearer cash. So mm. it, and you don't even have to call it digital bearer cash because cash is inherently a bearer instrument if you put it in the bank it's no longer cash it's right. now numbers on a bank spreadsheet mm. uh, so if we just call it digital cash uh if you don't hold the keys to your bitcoin it's the equivalent of putting your cash in the bank okay but most people would say putting my cash in the bank isn't that bad you know unless i have 100 million dollars in the bank then maybe that's correct and most people will put their bitcoin on an exchange right right yeah yeah, yeah. and and i i mean I sort of get why uh, grasping the concept of like self custody and you know the keys being able to sign for your Bitcoin with your own keys. No, very few. Again, it comes down to like, is there an actual problem with putting money in a bank? For most people, no. 
most people can put their money in a bank and then they want to send it to someone they can and they want to withdraw it and they can, right? It's only the day where they go to make a transaction and the bank's like, sorry, that's not possible. You know, you can't do that. Or uh, sorry, we're closing your bank account because of some, you're a risky customer for whatever reason, for the way you live your life. You mm. get shut down. And then it's like, oh, okay. Now there's yeah, we, a problem. We What's saw you at a protest. You've been debanked. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I remember watching that at the happened to the Canadian truckers. Canadian uh, trucker. Like th th there's two ways uh, back onto the, like the freedom thing. There's two ways that uh, the state can sort of enforce their will upon you. One is they, you know, they restrict your physical freedoms. And the other one is that they restrict your financial freedoms. Mm. Right. Right. And so if you've got your Bitcoin uh, sitting on a cold wallet, um, then it's pretty hard to restrict your financial freedom. If you've yeah, got, they have to, savings. you make it a lot harder, you know, but it's like, what's the, what's the, um, what's the saying? It's like possession is nine tenths of the law or something, mm. right? Yeah. If you have the Bitcoin in your possession, forget the law. Like they have to come and literally take it from you physically. Whereas if they can just press a button from a room in Washington and, you know, close your bank account in where you live in, Washington, I'm talking Washington, DC, and I say you live in Wyoming, they can just press one button and freeze your bank account. Hmm. Right. So uh, do you keep uh, all of your savings in Bitcoin? Uh, most of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm likewise, which, which uh, I think normal people hearing that think is crazy. But, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm not worried about an 80% drop anytime soon. I know that those happen and they're coming. Um, but I'm expecting at least in the short to medium term for it to get back up to the all-time high. Um, yeah, I, the same the same rules of, you know, being financially sensible apply whether you're buying a house or saving in Bitcoin or buying some stocks. Like everything can change in an instant in Bitcoin mm -hmm. and in everything else. And so if you need access to liquidity, uh, you shouldn't rely on your long-term savings for that. Mm, right. Yeah. Gotta have a, you gotta have a it's good to have a buffer of three to six months of something liquid, cash or whatever else. Uh and then it's it's nice to have a vehicle where you can put your money and you don't need to touch it for five or ten years and you where where you have a belief that it's going to increase in purchasing power over that time. So uh you're a pretty financially savvy guy. Um and uh I just thought I'd uh take the opportunity to ask you, um what is the deal with the uh the Bitcoin uh like ETFs? So you um do you want to know if I'm for or against them or well no, I, I just I, I still don't really understand why I would ever want one. <laughs> yeah, I mean again, you're a, you you get Bitcoin, you seem like a guy who would be able to buy Bitcoin somewhere already and you know, self-custody or keep it on an exchange. But yeah, you don't have a need for a Bitcoin ETF. But somebody who, you know, a boomer that has no idea what Bitcoin is, but they just want to partake in the number go up and, you know, they have their Schwab account or whatever. They don't know what Coinbase is. They don't, you know, they only use a smartphone to SMS their wife and kids and make phone calls. You know, they can go on their existing, bro or, they, or even they, they still call their broker. You know, they still have like a guy they call on the phone, like, hey, Bobby, buy me 500 shares of Microsoft. Like those guys, that's for them. Okay. And it's for some institutions that need, you know, it's for also for institutions that perhaps need, you know, someone 
that's helping uh, they need like a name like blackrock behind the bitcoin that's you know that that meets certain regulatory or uh, compliance requirements for them to be able to get into Bit- get exposure to bitcoin right i mean imagine that most institutions can't just like go on coinbase smash by 50 bitcoin or 100 bitcoin and then just like keep it in a treasure in their office right right it doesn't fit with the corporate governance of exactly. a lot of institutions they'll need like a third party even if most i think most institutions they need third party custodians like for uh conflict of interest reasons and and just like safety reasons uh so this it's going to be the same thing with bitcoin they yeah. they're not going to get the benefit of the self custodial part of the, the digital cash they don't care about that they care about number go up yeah one thing that's interesting so so obviously like i'm always uh happy to hear when a large institution gets involved in bitcoin you know like tesla or someone like that is buying a bunch of bitcoin i'm always like that's great like it's it's great for the network it's great for the value of my bitcoin it's also great for just the legitimacy angle of it um but one of the things that's interesting is that when uh you know a whale so to speak makes a purchase like that they actually have to make them often they will try to make them over the course of like several days uh, or mm. a week even so that there's no uh, visible effect on the market <laughs> yeah. they don't want people to you know catch on that they're buying 50 million dollars of bitcoin um and so i always find that that funny yeah yep they'll have some algorithm that's buying you know whatever two thousand dollars every second for however long until they've stacked their whole thing yeah exactly yeah. um so you know some uh, some anarchists or like bitcoin purists will argue that a blackrock etf is bad for it's not good for bitcoin or they'd rather it doesn't it, you know doesn't happen you know that custodial exchanges are bad for bitcoin mm. well i i mean i i guess i'm not that concerned about large players getting involved um I mean, I guess, yeah, ultimately there will be consolidation in the network over time and there will be some centralization as a result of that. I mean, I think there already is like the the total number of like, you know, if you if you look at the distribution of like total Bitcoin that's sitting in wallets and the amount that's in, you know, the top whatever, 5%, uh, it's quite large. But again, it's sort of like... Um, centralization compared to what right like what else is more decentralized nothing yeah i think that i think the concern might be for some people is that if an institution like blackrock became a a holder of enough bitcoin and became influential enough that their opinion or whether they held or sold bitcoin would affect the price to the point where you would go along with a change they propose that you might have not gone along with just based on the fact that uh they're so influential and could tank the price hmm. right if it all became about if the majority of bitcoin activity was this actually through the etf the vehicle of etfs and then they decided well like bitcoin it uses too much energy we need to we want to make bitcoin more environmentally friendly and so we need to switch bitcoin to proof of stake and there was sort of another like block size war but it would be a fork war of consensus mechanisms and blackrock was like you know we support the uh the pos fork right and then that was the one where most of the money followed that fork mm-hmm. the the proof of work fork would be 
could be like the Bitcoin Cash, could be worth a lot less. And so you might get a lot of people who would go with the POS for because they're like, well, I don't want to lose my life savings. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I also like the subtle the, the subtlety of POS as a four. <laughs> yeah, the, the branding of that it's not so yeah, good. It's great. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> um, you would okay, of course yeah. get tokens. You would as a as a Bitcoin holder, you would get tokens in both, right? Yeah. But one of the ways you sort of vote for the one that you think is the uh, good one is by selling the other one. Well, and that's why more of us, you know, individual hodlers need to, uh, you know, stay in the network, right? Yeah, um, I think you have to hold, you have to run a node. And mm -hmm. when I say hold, I mean hot in self-custody and yeah. run a node. And mine right. if you can. And my so so right. I guess I would ask you a little bit briefly and, and, about the economics of mining. Um mm -hmm. I know that it's like it can get at least here, uh it can be somewhat cutthroat in that there's a lot, there's just there's like very intense competition. And, and, you know, the margins uh, can be quite tight. Um, and obviously, this is good if you're a Bitcoiner, because that means that, you know, the miners themselves are getting more, more competitive. But is mining still even viable, uh, you know, under a certain scale? You know, I think it's like anything. Uh, the circumstances dictate who, who can mine and also... Because the, yeah, there's competition. It's like, can you set up a burger place next to McDonald's and beat McDonald's, or will McDonald's outcompete you, right? Because they can offer a cheaper burger or whatever it is, right? Uh, it's the same thing with mining. Uh, everyone can mine. Everyone can plug in a miner, but it is an economically driven game. So you're not going to really plug in a miner and lose money. There has to be some like second. If you are losing money, you have to be gaining back some value in some other way. Like let's say. You use a miner. You you plug in a miner at home. Miners produce heat as a byproduct of the computing uh, of the computing process. So let's say like your miner uses fifteen hundred watts of of electricity, and your space heater that doesn't mine Bitcoin uses also uses fifteen hundred watts. You might calculate and mine at a loss because then you're also getting the heat that you'd be spending money on anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But but in terms of in, in terms of like the setting up a profitable on their own mining operations yeah you're competing with institutional players who can go to the grid and say hey we'll buy up 250 megawatts or whatever and they can get cheap prices and all of that right whereas like if you can't do that you know they're going to be adding hash rate they're going to be making the bitcoin mining difficulty goes going they're going to make bitcoin mining difficulty go up uh, and if you're not adding hash rate in proportion to that you're uh, mining less Bitcoin every time that happens. Right, right. Right, and yeah. they have access to capital markets, like cheaper capital, more capital than you. Uh, yeah. They get first dibs on miners. Better miners, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So it is It is a cutthroat game. Uh, and look, just kind of like any business, it, there's only so much like optimization and stuff that you can do. Uh, you know, with, with, uh, with other stuff, you can sort of like create the perception that your thing delivers infinite value. Uh, but with Bitcoin, there's only, you know, electricity can only go to zero. Mm. And Bitcoin price is Bitcoin price is not going to go to, it's not infinity either, right? It's the electricity price and the Bitcoin price, right? Because you're, you're essentially spending money on electricity and then you're turning that electricity into Bitcoin. And then you're normally 
because you have expenses to pay, you're turning some of that Bitcoin uh, into fiat or paying for the expenses directly in Bitcoin. And then you you keep the difference, right? So what some miners do though is they they sell equity, they issue new shares, or they uh, issue debt and they huddle the Bitcoin, mm. and that's usually how they get wrecked. <laughs> so if they do the, if they're if they're very irresponsible, you know, if they if they do the equivalent of going hundred x long uh, with with the uh, capital raising abilities they have, they mm. do end up getting wrecked. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I guess I wanted to transition a little bit into talking about Bitcoin uh, itself as a community, right? Because you've sort of thrown yourself into this. Um, you know, it's it's now your career, uh, and uh, that came out of your participation in like Bitcoin Twitter, right? Um, and and I had the, uh, um, you know, uh, whatever. I, I had my bit signal out for for quite a while. Um, and, um, was sort of there. I took it, I don't know. I, I took it down because a friend was like, oh, it's cringe for you to be doing that. And I was like, well, what's your bit signal? But it's true. Oh, just the hashtag Bitcoin little Twitter thing uh, right. uh, that they have there, the emoji. And, gotcha. um, you know, that was just there as a permanent fixture on my profile for a while. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much it contributed to to much of anything, but uh, the, the the thing I was going to ask is like one of the things that Bitcoin gets c- criticized for uh, outside of, you know, environmental concerns and people having disputes about the, the validity of the currency and, and all that other sort of more fundamental stuff is the community itself gets criticized. And, you know, I asked you earlier whether you're considered, whether you consider yourself a maximalist and sort of part of the hesitation in answering that question that people have, and I've been asked it a bunch of times too, is you don't want to be perceived as one of those people who um, is, you know, aggressive or just very vitriolic in terms of Mm -hmm. their representation of Bitcoin. And so one of the negative things about Bitcoin insofar as there are things to, you know, criticize is that there is a small subset of the community that's perceived as being very uh very aggressive and very rude um and so i wanted to ask you a little bit about what your what your experience has been as someone who's grown a community um you know online around bitcoin and has you know turned that into his profession yeah i think i mean every every subs it's first of all it's the internet and we, you know, add on anonymity on top of it and the ability to only communicate in 280 characters of, in, in writing. Uh, that makes things, it makes nuance difficult. It makes it very easy to be very short, snappy, emotional, uh, angry sometimes. Uh, but every community has its trolls and its, you know, aggressive people, especially on the internet. Meeting people in real life, I've never met anyone that was like, rude to me or behaved like they would on the you know like some people do on the internet um and and i also think that the whole thing is like sort of a storm in a fishbowl because your average so-called you know no no coiner the person that you know has read a bbc news article about bitcoin and has made up their mind that it that it's a bubble and it's bad for the environment and it's only used by criminals they don't even know that there is a bitcoin community Never the ne- never mind that like there are some people that are toxic or mean to them. 
or mean to people. Um, so I think it's only it's it's only within people who are sort of tuned into the community that you get these sort of remarks about like, oh, toxic Bitcoin maximalists, or they're mean on the internet, or they say all this, they're really aggressive or whatever. Hmm. I mean, look at politics. Like you, I, I don't really, go, I don't really pay attention to news and stuff. But I bet if you go under any sort of political post, you'll have people supporting Trump and people supporting Biden and people supporting this person and be all being mean to each other. Well, one of the things that I found is, is interesting. Whenever that criticism comes up, is uh, I actually view it almost as like exactly the opposite. At least my interaction with with other with fellow Bitcoiners. Uh, like yourself and others, is that there's something about Bitcoin that to me, I think is extremely healthy once you understand what it is about. Um, and, and and by healthy, I just mean that like, it's it's fundamentally a movement around people that don't want corruption of, of the currency and view corruption of the currency as uh, destructive to civilization itself. Um, and I think once you sort of wrap your head around that idea, then it becomes clear that like all of the other Bitcoiners that you interact with uh, are on your side, not only because you're both invested in the network, but also because you all have the same shared vision of what could we do if we actually got the currency like correct and how good could life be? Um, and so to me, I find the the community itself to be extremely like like inspiring and very and very wholesome in a way. Yeah, it's the the cliche is like the matrix, right? And they're out of the matrix. And that is true. Once you understand certain th- how certain things work, you see the world completely in a in a different light. And the people who don't see that, they're sort of you kind of see them living in an illusion and the those two worlds clash, right? Um and I I think a lot of the response to yeah you know, a lot of the people being mean uh bitcoin is being mean to other people some of it is is warranted in the sense that these other people are saying some very incorrect moronic things about bitcoin right that are just factually wrong and they don't um, they they haven't taken the time to learn about bitcoin but yet they hold very strong opinions so i think it's completely fair to uh, defend yourself against those types of of comments or you know accusations or whatever whatever else. Yeah, I remember I had a on my old show Agora Politics. I had an interview with uh, Jim Rutt, he's the former CEO of uh, Network Solutions, which is a big uh, domain registrar. And um, I asked him about Bitcoin because we were talking about uh, sort of network states and other things like that, and. Um, you know, he gave me a, like a ridiculous answer, uh, which, which I, by the way, if Jim Rutt, if this ever gets around to him, I'd be happy to talk to him again. Hopefully he's changed his mind on Bitcoin. But um, he basically said, uh, you know, what you said earlier, which is like, you know, Bitcoin's basically only for criminals. But he also said that he thought that the proof of work mechanism uh, and the scarcity that's built into Bitcoin, like automatically was evil. Um, and I was not a huge, uh, I was not like extremely orange pilled at the time, but I was definitely pro Bitcoin. Mm. And um, because it wasn't really germane to the particular conversation we were having, I didn't press him very far on it. 
but I wish I would have because um, in a way I view it almost as exactly the inverse. Like without the scarcity component, that's how you get something that's corrupting. And it's actually the illusion that that reality uh, doesn't have scarcity in it that you create through some fiat mechanism um, that leads to you know, the proliferation of evil. Yeah, you get a lot of this uh, point of view that, you know, without the ability to expand the money supply, all these terrible things would happen. But I think those people don't believe that expanding the money supply devalues the existing currency units. So there is no actual like wealth creation or expansion of capital goods uh, or the stock of, of capital and valuable things in the world. Those things don't increase by you just printing more money. Otherwise, why not just print infinite you, money? You, you can't create wealth through dilution, guys. Yeah, like, correctly, exactly. So that I think that's the missing like point that people who say that don't understand. Mm. Um, and and th I think that's where the like scarcity, deflationary money, like no one would ever spend any money. And then we're all you know, how can there be growth and finance? You know, businesses trading with each other. Like no, there will be. There will be that. There will most definitely still be trade, right? Mm. You won't go and buy a washing machine, uh, you know, every two years because a part of it has broken because tomorrow is going to be more expensive. Like you'll actually like probably, yes, you will. Things will last longer because the money is so much more valuable. The, the money should be the most valuable thing that you have. And you should be very careful of what you trade for it. Whereas right now, especially in an inflationary environment, you know, inflation encourages you to consume today because tomorrow you're going to need more dollars to buy the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, again, it's it's I don't know. Um, you still you people are still going to want a fancier car or whatever, and they will be they will be willing to trade their money for those things because we you know we're still humans with emotions that are or, that are driven by emotions right driven yeah. by ego driven by uh you know putting our self worth into external things the cars the cars we drive the houses the gucci the whatever that will still exist under a uh scarce money deflationary standard right right exactly um it's just you know you won't get uh you won't get diluted and you don't have to park all your money into like real estate or tech stocks or something like that to just try to keep it from disappearing from your account. Correct. Yeah, exactly. I mean that was the thing for me at least was like uh, a lot of things will return to their utility value. Yeah, I, I work in tech and uh, you know I got laid off uh, basically actually almost a year ago today uh, and you know I was part of like the initial wave of like tech layoffs. Um, I was not working in big tech, but uh, basically, you know, a large reason why over the last year, there's been like a big, uh, you know, exodus of, uh, well, not even exodus. I don't think most people left the industry, but a lot of tech people got laid off, um, had to do with people parking their money in tech and especially in big tech um, over the last three years. Because they didn't know where else to put it to get any returns that were beating inflation. You know, it's like if real inflation is something like 15%, which it certainly was in some places, um, then you need 20% return or more to, uh, to, 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 to be just getting ahead. And where are you going to get that? Well, you know, there aren't a lot of places where you're going to get that consistently. And so um, it would be nice to have 
to not have that kind of inflationary concern. And so people can actually put their money into things that uh, that work, that are just solid businesses, and they're not just chasing um, you know unrealistic returns. Yeah, it would be nice if the sort of like the 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 safe rate of return was just holding cash. Right, right. Like the equivalent of like treasuries was just cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, holding Bitcoin, you know, maybe as a cash. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean by that's what I would mean by cash. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Um. So, I guess for for you, um, given that like at least in the in the Bitcoin like hype cycle uh, trends, right? It seems like there are like there are uh, you know there are up cycles where people are getting very excited and a lot of energy is behind it. And there's a lot of news coverage, and then there are sort of down cycles where people are saying that you know look we finally got them this time. You know Bitcoin's actually a scam. Uh, it's a pyramid scheme, whatever. Um, and then there's sort of like this middle period, which I think we're sort of in right now. Maybe we're on the cusp of an up cycle um, where there's just a large lull and the price is largely just going sideways. Um, and there's not a lot of activity because of that, because people don't get that excited. Like they get excited when the number goes up and they get, they get excited when the number goes down um, because then we can all pontificate about why the number is moving in whatever direction. And obviously yeah. whenever it starts going back up, you get a bunch of people jumping in and then, you know, many of them will, will stay and many of them will also, uh, uh, you know, go off in attrition uh, when the price goes back down eventually. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, what is your sense right now of sort of the phase that we're at in in the kind of hype cycle? And how, what's like the perception of Bitcoin? Because I'm not like super into Bitcoin Twitter, obviously, in the way that someone like you is. Yeah, I think people are definitely feeling quite bullish at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, I mean, obviously, no one knows what's going to happen in um, in the future. But you could definitely. I think if you were in, if you were a, if you were a trader and you were into Bitcoin Twitter, you'd be able to trade based off what you feel your feed is. So, like right now, if you're trading, you might be selling, and then you know, obviously, when the whole like FTX thing and everyone's like visibly bearish, you might be buying. So you could definitely, I think you could definitely trade off the feed, off just the feed because it's like a global consciousness, right? You're seeing in real time the uh, emotions and opinions and points of view about something in real time. And you have, you know, thousands and thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of data points. Right. Yeah, you could build um, but- a... A Bitcoin trading algorithm that uses sentiment analysis from Twitter. I mean, if you if you were like super... Uh, techie and you could do that then for sure um, and you wanted to automate it but if you're spending on that time on Twitter anyway because you enjoy it uh, there you can definitely tell when people are bullish and when people are bearish and you know not to say that doesn't go up from here and you you selling here uh, was bad uh, but yeah you could I, I, you could trade off that and and yeah people are definitely bullish the ETF is a big the BlackRock ETF and all the other ETFs are a big uh, uh, a big thing. It'll be interesting to see whether it's a sell the news event. Often things in Bitcoin are sell the news events, like the big things, right? If you sold Bitcoin when Tesla announced they bought Bitcoin and it pumped to 44K, you'd be pretty happy right now. Yeah. 
right? Uh, you might have been sad for like a few weeks when it went to 60k and then but you'd be pretty happy. So so do you do you trade at all? I mean, no. do you believe in selling? Yeah. Not at all. I, I I believe in and that's not to say that I think trading is bad and whatever. I'm sure there are some there's a small sliver of people that uh can do it successfully and make money off it. Those people are not telling you their secrets of how they do it and selling you a course, I guarantee it. So um they're just you know it's it's like coca-cola selling you their secret syrup so that everyone else can make coca-cola no they don't do that right that's right. why like intellectual property rights exist and secrets you know uh, exist and stuff like that so um i just put i'm just personally not drawn i don't enjoy trading i prefer to learn other things and uh increase my income that way and then just put it park it in bitcoin yeah um, i mean but, but by all means if people enjoy trading and they're able to make money of doing it i'm not against trading at all just the, the not way, for me the way that i visualize it and this started back in 2021 when i was initially trying to dump uh as much cash as possible into bitcoin is that i'm just like taking i'm just i need a like as big of a shovel as possible to just move everything from the fiat economy into the bitcoin economy <laughs> and that's like my entire goal yeah. is just get a bigger shovel so it's like I would never sell the Bitcoin unless I absolutely had to, um, because all I'm trying to do is move as much energy from this part of the economy to this part. Um, yeah, and, and uh, for you, you said you're in the tech industry. I'm sure that you can stack a lot more Bitcoin in the long run if you focus on increasing your income or your earning potential in yeah. the thing that you're good at and enjoy and have experience in. Than like going to try and trade or time the markets in Bitcoin and sell, buy here, sell there, whatever. Right? Unless that's what you enjoy, and that's where you're going to be, you know, focusing mo the majority of your time and energy because you're competing against when you, you know, when you're doing anything. Um, Sure, there's skill, but skill is largely uh, a deri derivative of like how much time and effort you put into something. Yeah, and that's that's also why I'm not a shitcoiner. Like I know a bunch of uh, crypto degenerates that I met on Clubhouse who, you know, they're always looking for some hint or some clue or some forum post about some new shitcoin, literal shitcoins. I'm not even yeah. saying everything is a shitcoin. Um, that. It's it's gambling plus astrology, right? There's like yeah. you can't gambling. Everyone knows it's just like math based. You can't be like, oh, I'm gonna predict that red is gonna land next because we all know it's just like math statistics. With shitcoin, you can be like, oh, I heard that like Elon is gonna talk about Doge on SNL, so I can like bet on on Doge or it's maybe like sports betting where like there is some semblance of you might be able to get an edge by some just some informational advantage. But again, it's largely just betting, gambling. It's not really investing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an entertainment activity. And for some of them, it works out. Uh, it's basically my, my view. Again. Yeah, exactly. The only problem I have with it is that is when the cryptocurrencies are affinity scamming Bitcoin, right? They're coming out and they're saying like a lot of people will just put all cryptocurrencies in sort of a bucket and they're like, well, Solana is better because it can do faster transaction times and blah, 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 blah. And they don't understand, again, that Solana is, you know, more centralized than Bitcoin. There's a Solana Foundation. There are founders. Uh, there's all the, yeah. There's all this stuff that Bitcoin doesn't have for a good reason. So, um, for someone listening who maybe is not yet a Bitcoiner but has a you know a, a decent idea of like what Bitcoin is, they've been obviously uh, this is you know you and I are both pro Bitcoin. 
Um, but how would you recommend somebody begin to get into the space? So what really helped me is I obviously had, I, you know, I, I was that person that had read the BBC article and thought I was well-informed as a result of reading the reliable and trustworthy uh, mainstream media, right? Yeah. Uh, and Who only so wants what, our best interests. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my, um, so what really helped me was actually going to content that specifically debunked misconceptions that were perpetuated by the media. So stuff like, you know, oh, 51% attacks or, you know, what if China, all the mining is in China or like, is it bad for the environment or is it only used by criminals? All the, that has no intrinsic value, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a great podcast. So I don't know if uh, you or you, some of your listeners might be familiar with Preston Pish. He does a podcast called Bitcoin. He he was big in like the value investing space. So he's a huge like Warren Buffett fan. And he had a, a he has a, a, a another podcast called the Investors Podcast, mm. um, where we study billionaires. And that arm of the podcast just talks about you know traditional investing and value investing and stuff like that. And then he got into Bitcoin, so he started just only doing the Bitcoin episodes of his podcast, and. In the one of the first episodes, he has a guy called Robert Breedlove on, and yeah. they sort of go through Bitcoin misconceptions. And that's a great one because they address all these like mainstream media points. Uh, there is another great video on YouTube that Simon Dixon and Andreas Antonopoulos, I believe, and it's called like Why You Shouldn't Buy Bitcoin. And they basically again go through all the, all these. Uh, reasons that bitcoin is why bitcoin is bad and then debunk them those were super helpful uh and then some of the earlier I, you know i i listened i remember listening to an interview with pomp and michael saylor and raul Powell before i realized uh that he's a bit of a farce uh on real vision with michael saylor and michael saylor is just like really good at um uh, using analogies that people who aren't necessarily into Bitcoin will understand. It's like, once I understood that Bitcoin is not just like some fake internet money thing, that it's actually a network as well. And when he likened it to being like a social network and Bitcoin being a money network and how you can have a network effect in, a, in money and mm. own a piece of that sort of network, right? Uh, by just owning the asset. That was a big like moment for me. Right. Because I, I I understood like investing in in companies, and I understood, uh, you know, why a company like Facebook uh, might be a good investment from the fact that it has like network effects and what network effects were. So when yeah. you're able to translate that into oh, there's a you can own a piece of a monetary network. Yeah, that was big. Yeah. So um, yeah, recommend. I mean, that's a that's an interesting position to just start immediately going after the uh, the misconceptions and the myths. Um, obviously like there's no, uh, you know, I mean, start as simple as possible. Like, like get on Coinbase. It's not like illegal to, uh, <laughs> to just ha have a small Coinbase, you know, wallet and start toying around with like the, the, you know, the very accessible forms of getting, uh, just interacting with it and holding on to some of it. And then I yeah. think as your comfort level goes up and as you learn more, um, you know, everyone can decide for themselves the level of commitment that makes sense for them as, as far as financial interest. Yeah, it has to be it has to be commensurate with your understanding of it and your conviction in what you think is going to happen in the future. 
based on what you do understand. And the reason why I went for those, you know, the misconception myth busting uh, podcasts and and stuff is because that's what that's hitting that's meeting people where they already are, like they yeah. already have read some of these uh, misconceptions in the on the main in the mainstream media. Because if you uh, talk to anyone about Bitcoin, they'll be like, they'll spout one of those things like, oh, I heard it's really bad for the environment, or I heard like it's really slow; it can only do seven transactions per second, or something, right? Um, so yeah, that's why I would that's where I would hit them, and then of course they can go buy some. I mean, if you go on Coinbase to buy some Bitcoin, you're it's it's kind of like just going on a banking app or like a stock buying app. You're not really getting to understand like Bitcoin addresses and and you're not interacting with Bitcoin directly. But sure, it is an easy first step to acquiring some, uh, and then I would say the next step would be like get your own wallet where you hold the keys and transfer the Bitcoin into that and do some reading about the basics of how bitcoin works start with the white paper i mean you know it's yeah. nine pages of the from the guy who made it i read the white paper in 2012 if only i had uh, uh taken it more seriously <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it, maybe it wasn't it wasn't to be taken seriously at that time it was taken as seriously as like it deserved at the time perhaps but yeah there were people who took it very seriously I do, I do recommend I do recommend reading the white paper. Uh, you know, it, it's I know it's like somewhat intimidating if you're not a technical person, but it's it's worth reading and it's not uh, incomprehensible to someone. No, there are snippets that you can that you can get. And, you know, we all we all spend so much time trying to define what Bitcoin is. And I think Satoshi just called it, you know, digital peer to peer cash or something. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. All right. Well, Bitcoin Gandalf, uh, it has been great having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. So thank you for having me. It's been great.